Hello, hello. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast. And this week on the podcast, we have a return guest, Rashid Stevens. Rashid Stevens is a Los Angeles-based filmmaker and stand-up comedian. Originally born and raised in inner-city Atlanta, Georgia, Rashid moved to Los Angeles, California six years ago, and since his arrival, he has immersed himself into the world of entertainment. The past year and a half, Rashid has produced, wrote, and starred in the feature films Coffee and Cabbage and Induced Effect, amongst many others. Both of those films previously mentioned are available to watch on Amazon Prime currently. He is in post-production on his latest project, Between Forever, in which he describes as a return of the black love story. Rashid also played a supporting role in the indie comedy Adult Interference, which is available to watch on Tuesday, September 17th on iTunes and is available to purchase on DVD and Blu-ray at Amazon, Target, and Walmart. This is Rashid's second time joining the podcast, and in this conversation, he is in a rarefied place creatively and motivationally. You'll just have to listen and trust me on that one as you go through. You'll see exactly what I mean. So with that, please enjoy this in-depth conversation with Rashid. Stevens. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. This is Rashid Stevens, actor, writer, producer, director, stand-up comedian, and phenom. Currently, uh, I'm working on a film called Between Forever, a serendipitous romance about prison reform. In the past, I worked on Induced Effect, Coffee and Cabbage, now streaming on Amazon Prime and various platforms. That's me. Fantastic. Rashid, welcome back to the Make It Podcast, my man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. It's always a pleasure. It is a pleasure, man. I, I've, I've always enjoyed talking to you. I've always been really inspired sort of by your work ethic, by by your um, output. And we're going to get into all that stuff for our audience today uh, in this conversation. Um, and, and I just can't wait. But for, for those that, that don't know, um, we, we go back a little bit of ways here. It's, it's crazy how way fast. Back. Yeah, how fast time flies. But we did a comedy special back in Atlanta with you and uh, even went further back than that um, was met you uh, at the W hotel, I think, right? Like uh, in the middle of a roast session, I was roasting <laughs> like some people. I didn't even know some celebrities or whatever. Yeah. And Dick, Greg- <laughs> Dick Gregory was getting his star. Dick Gregory was getting his star. You were in a roast session. I think Lakeith was there like listening to the roast session. Yeah. And Omar uh, Dorsey, yeah, Omar Dorsey was there. Uh, Shay Roundtree was there. Uh, Terry Jingles was there. There's a bunch of people. Oh, Omar, Omarosa. Omarosa, I got her. You gave me, I got her number. You remember? Yeah, <laughs> I got a number. Yeah, I snuck in that event. I snuck in that event. Oh, did you? I never knew that. Yeah, I snuck in there because I I think I was. Oh yeah, I was walking. I was coming from the comedy store. And I was walking on Hollywood Boulevard. I was about to get on the, um, the train on Hollywood and Vine, but I heard a whole bunch of loud ruckus and talking and laughing on the patio of uh, the W Hotel. And um, I was like, I got to, I got to, you know, laugh. When I hear laughter, that's like contagious for me. I, I got to be around that. I was like, what's going on? And somebody told me Dick Gregory had just got a star, but it was like a private event. I was like, fuck, it ain't nothing private to me. So I snuck around, <laughs> a, I snuck around backwards. Uh, the back way where the car is valet parked mm-hmm. and I walked in that room and I just act like I owned it. I just, walk, I think they was already, they was already roasting each other. And I decided to involve myself. I'm like, man, I grew up doing this. So 
I involved myself in a roast then, you know, and the rest yeah. is history. That's how I met you too. You in the, in yeah. the middle of it laughing. Yeah, that's, that's true. Cause it was like, um, I feel like we were all there and we'd been there all day. So we were just sort of in a goofy mood. We'd, we'd, you know, we'd paid our respects. It was a long day. Um, Rest in peace to Gre- I mean, Dick Gregory too. Yeah, rest yeah, in peace. yeah, we love him, and and he meant so much to to us and to everyone else, and and uh, a lot of respect to his son Christian, who actually organized that whole thing, and and has always been so sweet to us, like throughout our entire lives, actually. So, um, really, really cool family doing really big things, and um, and look, it brought us together, and we're still together today, like working together creatively. And I'm, I'm super proud of that. But, but, but for people who don't know that you, how you ended up in LA, can you tell the story of, of how you got to LA in the first place from Atlanta? Uh, I moved to LA July 18th, 2012. Um, I had just stopped playing football and I was kind of, I had, I was in college too. And I was, I didn't really want to be in college, so they told me I wanted a financial aid check because I needed some money, so they told me <laughs> I had to take some classes, and at this time, I had exhausted all my electives except for, like, they had some theater classes. I'm like, oh, you know what? I, I tried theater. You know, I could. So I tried the theater, and I actually liked it, and then at the same time, I was just starting to get in stand-up comedy. This was back in uh, early 2011, I guess, uh-huh. and I went to Atlanta, and I started doing it, and... I don't know. L.A. had always been calling my name. I was like, I'd never been to L.A. I heard that's the pinnacle and a mecca of like uh, entertainment. I was going to go there. I didn't do any research. I decided this in like two weeks. I'm like, I need to be in L.A. after doing acting classes for a couple of months and doing stand up comedy, even though I was still was very, very green. And I um, I decided I had an absolute thought I was going to move there on a, a Monday and I took off on a Thursday. And I drove out there with like maybe I drove to L.A. in my 2001 Hyundai Sonata with maybe like three hundred and twenty seven dollars. <laughs> and I got the money from I had pawned my title, my car title. And I had used that money to move to L.A. So I, used, I only, that money I have is about three hundred and twenty seven bucks, if I'm not mistaken. I, I got in my car with the, <laughs> with just on an adrenaline of dreams and I drove to L.A. Uh, well, first I stopped in Vegas. I'm like, fuck it. I'm probably going to be broke. <laughs> yeah. I was like, maybe I can gamble and win some money, but I end up losing about 75 bucks. I'm like, fuck it. I need to hurry up and get to LA before I run out of money. Get to LA and without any research, I, I'm trying to get a hotel room and stuff. And like I said, I didn't do no research. And it was like 119 a pop for a Motel 6 at this time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I need at least one day of rest. And then I could probably find a job and get an apartment and get in the movie next day. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got an awakening though. I realized that it wasn't that easy. And by that time, I probably was down to like 40, 50 bucks after that hotel stay. And I said, fuck it, I'm just going to stay in my car and navigate my way through Hollywood. So I ended up spending a year and a half in my car navigating myself through the streets and of, of Hollywood and Los Angeles and just being very persistent. And like I said, living off the adrenaline of dreams. And I was able to get off my feet. I got on somebody's couch, got a little job. Got fired from that job, collected unemployment, started booking some acting gigs, doing comedy, and I started making a little living for myself. That's incredible. You're so courageous, man. I love, I love that story. Um, it's just, it's just bananas, and we have that in common. Like I, I've been homeless before, and uh, people that know me really well know this story. But uh, yeah, I lived in my white. 1989 Honda Accord for, for a month. Oh, that's but a it, fancy house. Yeah. <laughs> fancy. <A> Honda. <laughs> yeah, fancy. exactly. I had a, I had a, a mansion. Um, so it was, it was nice. Like I'd, I'd gotten the car because my best friend at the time, Ross had, um, had smashed up my 1989 Honda Civic. And so, because I didn't have any insurance or anything, he uh, he went and bought in cash a car to replace the car he just ruined. <laughs> yeah, and That's I crazy. yeah I bought that Honda Civic from my sister for four hundred dollars cash. And oh then, wow! Yeah, and then he bought the eighty nine 
a cord for me for like I think fourteen hundred dollars cash. And so what that was my was new this? car. And night what year was I homeless or what year was the car? What year were you homeless? God, that was in two thousand and one ish, probably. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. I want to say 2000, two thousand, maybe not, maybe two thousand. Yeah, maybe two thousand. So it was, it was, you know, a couple of decades ago. But it's not, it's, it's nothing like you. Like you're, you're the man. Like you're, you're the real hero. Like you're the real courageous one following his dreams. I was, I could have went home to my dad's house, but I had too much pride. <laughs> yeah, I had too much pride. So I, just, I lived in the in the parking lot of 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 a Kroger. Wow. For a month in my car, that was my that was my chill spot. It's like, okay, I'm gonna be safe here, because this is this is old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, whatever I had to do, <laughs> but you but you were but you were in close earshot of like your resources. You're right. Like you had, like being close to a grocery store is kind of like a good life hack if you're homeless. You don't <laughs> yeah, want yeah. You don't you don't be far away from your resources because you can't afford gas. <laughs> Absolutely. That's funny because that's the same thing I was doing. I was making sure I parked my car in places where I could keep it parked and I could walk to different places. Yeah, th- there you go. That's that's it. That's it. Um, so you end up in L.A. Um, you're on the adrenaline, running on the juice, on the on the fumes of, of dreams, which which I love. Um, I mean, you talk about taking that theater class in college. Um, Two questions. What university was it? And two, was that the moment you knew you wanted to do it? Or did you know earlier in your life you wanted to pursue comedy and and, uh, entertainment? Um, Well, when I I was always into sports, right? I played college football, played ran track, wrestled. So I always wanted to play sports, but I always had it deep down in my mind that I probably wanted to dabble in like – some entertainment once I was done with like NFL because I had these dreams. I had my I had my boxes checked that I was going to be in the NFL, make millions of dollars, and I was going to retire. But I didn't really give it any real real thought. But it wasn't. But I remember it, my coaches and and people was always telling me, man, you should do comedy, dude. You funny. Like if you don't make it to the NFL, you should do comedy, man. You, or you could be a, you got a you got an actress look. I was like, you know. But I was not taking it that into really strong consideration. But once I took that theater class, I think it lasted one semester, a whole semester, and what I think that's about four months. But the first, mm-hmm. and I went this college I went to was Jacksonville State University in Alabama. And when I took the class, you got to understand the demographics of that class. It was uh, about ninety eight percent white. We had another black girl. Well, she wasn't black. She was she didn't I don't know what she was, but she looked it like she could be black and she, cause she was adopted by Mormons and stuff. So I told her, <laughs> I told her the responsible thing. She was very lost. So I told her she was a nigger and she accepted that. I'm like, listen, I'm like, you a nigger. She, cause she was like, I don't know what I am. I was adopted. I'm like, listen, you a nigger. We need each other in this class. We got to stand by each other. Cause I needed somebody on my side. I never forget that shit. Her name was Alicia. I was like, we need each other. She's like, we, she's like, I don't, I'm not black. I'm like, yes, you are. You are a nigger. I told her, I, I like, you claim that you're a black. So, <laughs> And that's a real story, man. I remember telling her that shit. I, I wanted, I, I wanted somebody on my my side. So most of the um, most of the uh, the playwrights we were reading was kind of more like conducive or relating to like these these white playwrights. So I couldn't really relate to it, especially me not having any real background in theater or acting and stuff. So I think it was like the third month of class. The teacher kind of see that I was super green and I didn't know how to. I couldn't connect to any of the material. And uh, one day she gave me. Uh, this play called Fences. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I know Fences. By August Wilson. August, August Wilson. Wilson. Yep. And I read it and I was like, I can identify with that because my father was kind of similar to that and I knew people like that. And I did that play and you got to understand we were in college. So every I played the father. So I played the father and they brought this black dude in from another class to play it with me. And we did the scene Fences where I played the father. And I was like, I got like, for the first time, people wasn't like disgusted or repulsed with my acting. And mm. they gave me a they gave me applause. I said, "Oh shit, I could do this." So I remember at that very moment when I did fences in the class after the third month, I was like, "You know what? I really probably got a gift in this. I could do this." It was just a matter of me identifying and connecting with some material, so it can give me at least some kind of foundation to be able to say, "I can create something off this." So I did fences, and then I, I after that, I just kind of fell in love with 
with acting, the, the performance and stuff. I, I was like, I could do this for the rest of my life. I, I really feel comfortable in that that space. Yeah, and you, I, you bring up a really interesting point there too. Uh, I've never even thought about that deeply. The idea that when st- students of color are in college learning um, different roles and learning to act and to perform on stage, all the material they're going to get, you know, they have to adjust their entire background life culture probably to fit into Shakespeare, for example, or something yeah. like that. And it's not necessarily something that, that you're going to give your best performance at, um, you know, this, the same way that, that, uh, a, 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 a person of, of, um, non-color is going to necessarily be able to play a Sidney Portier role, right? Like it's, 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 yes. it's interesting. So, so kudos to your uh, theater professor for like bringing in yeah. fences and like giving you the opportunity to play something that content you could be, you know, like, you know, relate, yeah, I relate to. to cause I, right. Cause I, I grew up in impoverished neighborhoods in East point, Georgia. So like I said, I, I had no connection with that. So it would have been different if I had some prior training, but I didn't have any training. So in order for me to get comfortable, I had to, I had to be, I had to get put, I mean, in order for me to get uncomfortable, that's what acting is. I had to get some kind of comfort, which was like relating, relating to some material I could identify with. So that gave me the comfort level to say, you know what, and some confidence to say, okay, I can do this. So now once I did fences, okay, it gave me the ability to like put myself in other characters and be able to, to kind of really just bring them to life. So that was definitely one of my, um, my my moments in acting where I really said, okay, I can do this. And I was, I was like, yeah, this shit is for me, dog. I can do this. <laughs> uh, 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 what, what college was it again? Jacksonville state university in Alabama. Jacksonville state. Well, kudos JSU. to Jacksonville state. Yeah. Game Hawks, baby. <laughs> We're not going to, that's going to be the one and only uh, game Hawks uh, shout out we get on this podcast. Um, <laughs> no, no question about it. So, so you you've done you've done so much. Uh, you've got thirty one acting credits. Uh, you are I do. Uh, you do. You you're wow. a true. Yep, I do my research here. You're a true <laughs> uh, multi hyphenate. You you have really done all these things. You're writing, producing, you're directing, and you've done it with a with the with a strange bit of gusto that I want to bring up later. But but. Um, on the front end, I just want to know. I love that word. Which one? Gusto. Which word? I said I love that word, gusto. I love it. Yeah, gusto is a good one, right? So yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out, though, to start with, you know, what is you're creating all the time. First of all, I would love to know how you have the time to do it. But then also sort of what is your philosophy um, when it comes to being creative? And, and how does that influence the projects you choose and, and sort of the people you work with because you're creating all the time. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I just use my one thing as a kid, especially when you grow up really poor and stuff and you don't really have a lot of toys. You have no you have nothing but to do but use your imagination. So mm-hmm. my imagination was everything. I, and then me being a black sheep in my family, I always got put in time out. I was always by my I was by myself a lot of times with my twin brother with my twin brother. So we was always creating different stories in our mind and stuff. And. So, I mean, I've, and then the, the, the unfortunate fortunate is what I call it. I call it unfortunate fortunate that I grew up in. Those, those, those different experiences that I experienced as a child and stuff, the tragic and the triumphs and stuff, those things became my stories. Those things became a part of me. So I always learned this lesson from some of the writers that I get mentored by out here, like Wayne Powers and stuff, who wrote The Italian Job in Deep Blue Sea. They always tell me, write what I know. I guess I know a lot of shit. I've been through a lot of stuff. So I always like to put myself inside of everything I create and stuff, put a little bit of that with a little bit of my imagination. So, and I always believe in that, you know, you utilize any time you have. So whatever time I have, I'm always creating. Cause I, I believe in this thing, man, that I was put here for a reason and that was to create and to inspire and to, to, to entertain and to make people believe. So, I put all of that, that's like my manifesto to, manifesto to life and stuff. It's like, I want to leave with a body of work that's going to be remembered way long when I'm gone. So I, I have this insatiable appetite to always just create and, and, and do and, and want. 
That's yeah. That's that's been my experience with you as well. So it really just comes from just you know not taking for granted the short amount of time you have, right? Absolutely, but it's the longest time I have too. So yeah, yeah. You have all that you have with the time that you have. It could be long as long as you fill it with with you know the stuff you really want to do and have the. So many people, I would say, just don't have the courage to do the thing they really want to do, right? Absolutely. And what Absolutely. do you what do you say to people when you run into people, whether it be at the improv, which is kind of where you're at now, or a comedy store, or on movie sets? What advice do you have for them if if they're if they're having a hard time finding the courage to do the thing they love? I know it's going to sound a little cliche, but I would say, listen, you get one life to live from what we know. Why not doing it what you love? And then most people live on the the factor of fear. Mm-hmm. But I was like, listen, you just got to do it. It's just like with anything else, you got to just do it. You got to take that leap of faith. And you can't allow fear to take over your life. So it's almost like you got to live every day like it's your last and stuff. So I'm always constantly, I mean, we all live in constant fear. Mm-hmm. But That's interesting. to be correct, but to, 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 to defeat fear, you have to be courageous. You have to be brave. And you got to say, you know what? Even if I fail, it's still a win. Right. Because every time you fail, you learn how to win. So, I'm always believing in like, like fighting fear, man. It's like whatever. And just taking it. Cause I, I, I've always been, my life has been full of no's and rejection. So it's like, Hey man, I can't get rejected no more than I've already been rejected. So I might as well keep doing it. Cause that one, it's going to be one time where it's going to just be that one. Yes. And like, or that one big opportunity. And it, that's all it's going to take. And then I could just, I take off flying and then I live in a moment. I try to always live in a presence. I'm like, what do I have right now? How can I make everything I have right now resourceful? I like use what you got right now. And the way I write scripts too, though, I was telling people because I had my movie screened at the Wilton Theater, Finch and Bing, Robert Townsend hosted the film festival. Only three filmmakers out of thousands of filmmakers made it. And one of my films were one of the ones that made it. And I, and people was asking me like, well, how do you get the budget? How do you do? I was like, listen, man, the way I write, write my plays, I write them, I mean, my screenplays, I got two systems. Most of them right now, when I'm working on these low budget indie movies, I say I write a movie the way, like, even if I didn't have a single dollar, could I still make this movie? So let's say I got a car, I got a friend, I got an apartment, I got a trash can, there's an outdoor. I, I, I write, I finesse and write my script around all those resources that I have. Mm. And I make it. So I make it very simply, but yet complex. I try to create something, a story that's going to make some sense, but still utilize every resource I have. I'm like, even if somebody didn't give me a dollar, I could still make this movie. And I just that's, make it. That's great. Cause I wanted to dig into that. Um, the thing that you ha- are starting to become famous for is making feature films that get distribution for under $25,000. So is that, is that really the, the, the trick that, that you are able to sort of make a list of your resources and then develop a story around that? And then how does that change your ability to write what you know? Uh, because <laughs> growing up, coincidentally, growing up in poverty, I don't have much anyway. So it was always being able to work with what you got. So that's why I say I grew up unfortunate, but fortunate. I grew up economically poor, but culturally rich. So any resource I have, I utilize it to my best of my ability. So I'm, I, I always write in mind, of course, I'm, I'm looking to get millions of dollars, but I'm like, I can still make this even if I don't get millions of dollars. And I got to make something, especially living today's technology era and stuff. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to make something. You got a camera phone. You got every, I utilize anything I have. So, and then I write, I got, I got a couple of, I, write, I got like four or five scripts that I wrote that are big budget that I'm using, that I'm, um, that, that are on my, uh, my library of work. So once I do be able to get these millions, hundred million dollar budgets, I'm like, I already got, I, I'm already, I'm already writing for that. Cause every time I write a low, I do this simultaneously. Every time I'm writing one of these low budget indie movies, I simultaneously write a big budget movie or, or I, I create a synopsis for a sci-fi movie that can be made for a couple of hundred million dollars or, you know, so I'm always being prepared so I don't have to get prepared. So I'm always doing that. That's always my task. And how long does it normally take you to like, what is your process for writing? And then uh, do you outline first? Do you just sit down and do it? And then how long does it normally take you to complete a screenplay? Um, I, I consider my process a bit um, unconventional because what I do, I conceptualize the idea in my head. Once it's in my head and I got it strongly plotted out, 
then I put the paper. I don't necessarily, I don't, I've outlined it one script one time. That's the only time. But other than that, once I got the characters and I got the story in my mind, once it's already, once I got the whole thing conceptualized, I go to the, uh, I go to the laptop and what I do, I know some people may call me dumb for this. I don't, I, I never purchase, I've never purchased a final draft or any uh, writing uh, thing. Software. So what yeah. I do, software. So what I do, I, um, I always give myself a, a, a timeline. So, you can you can get a final draft free trial for thirty days, mm-hmm. so that keeps me on my toes and stuff. I stand ten toes down, two thumbs up. So what I do when I'm um, I, I get a thirty day trial. I'm like, okay, I got thirty days to try to write this script and get it done and do some couple of rewrites, and then I sneak inside uh, Los Angeles Film School if I need to do any other rewrites. So I give myself thirty days and I just I isolate myself. I go somewhere to a cafe or I sit at home and I punch it out. And usually on average, it takes me about ten days to get the first draft on average. I wrote one script one time in like three days, but it used to take me, but then I just keep rewriting and rewriting it. But about, I say, so about an average on about 10 days and I keep rewriting and rewriting it. And my process has got a little more, uh, more detailed and stuff. I, you know, I've learned to take more notes to really collaborate, to really listen more, you know? So uh, now I get people, some of my friends and my peers to, to write or some people like you, like Chris, I get, you know, you guys have, gave me notes on my scripts and stuff or on my pictures. So I, I take those and I learn from what I did in my past. So that's kind of like my process now. So I, I do the final draft and I, I make sure I'm like, listen, I got a deadline. When I know I got a deadline, I know I got to get it done. So there's no wasting time. There's no procrastinating. And like, that's, I only get, yeah. No, that's, that's, I really like that, man. I, I love that because, um, so, so I've talked about this on, this podcast and other conversations, but the idea of putting yourself on death ground and death ground is basically comes from Sun Tzu, which is like the, you know, the art of war, the art of war, art yeah, of war yeah. which is, which is this idea that, that you, that you send your ships away once your army is off the ships and you say the only way to, you know, see your family again is through that other army. Right. And, Absolutely. and, and he never lost a war that way. And this whole idea of this whole idea of, Using the 30-day trial to your advantage, not only to get the product, to use it, but to also put yourself on death ground to ensure that you're done with it is a brilliant creative life hack. So thank you for that. Now, I'm going to help you out, and I'm going to tell you there's some free software called Celtics. C-E-L-T-X. Oh, yeah, I know about that. <laughs> so you don't have to use that free trial. But, you know, the thing is... I would. I think you should keep using it because it it makes you it forces you to pump out content. Mm-hmm. And so I would say keep using the the final draft, um, the the free thirty day trial because that 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 just keeps you on pace and keeps you pumping content out. My my favorite that I use is called Fade In. It's fifty bucks one time, oh, yeah. and uh, I think it's like one guy develops it, but it's incredible and he always updates it. It's really awesome. So that's 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 my jam is is fade in, but I also have Final Draft as well. And look, I mean, at the end of the day, the first screenplay was what written on ha- by hand. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so 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 people have it. People get in their own way. I think they you know everybody has an excuse for why they can't do it. Like, oh, I don't have the software. No, just do what Rashid does. Get the thirty yeah. day trial and, <laughs> and 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 absolutely knock it out. So, like Nike, just do it, baby. That's it. That's it. Just yeah, that's, do it. that's incredible. So, um, going back into, uh, another thing that you said earlier about, about not being afraid, like conquering fear, because I want to touch on this whole area and, and there's so much you just said that I want to dig into, but I don't want to forget to just talk about that thing you mentioned about fear and like not letting fear dominate you and conquering fear and, and, you know, you, you could give the ultimate sort of take on this because as a stand-up comedian, one, there's nothing harder than trying to make a group of people laugh that are from all different parts of the world and different experiences. And then having the courage to get on stage to do that is tough. And so I'm wondering, um, have you ever bombed before in a performance? And, and are there signs when you know you're about to bomb? Uh, absolutely. I've bombed several times. I mean, several times. I mean, that, that's part of the process. It, it's part of the process that you go through because you got to, you, you, you know, every crowd, and you know, what? every crowd may not be feeling you. I, I never blame the crowd and stuff. I never blame the audience and stuff. So it have been times where I've gotten much better at that now because I'm, I mean, I'm much, 
I'm almost 10 years, almost coming up on uh, close to a decade of doing comedy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, as I get more and more on stage, I get more advanced in how to work a crowd. Cause now I could, I, I can sense when I'm losing a crowd or they not. And I, and I find a way to kind of just flip it. I'm like, what can I do? I probably do some audience work, right? So I work some tricks. I, I got some tricks in a bag now that I can work when I'm trying to get a crowd on my side and stuff and really trying to work them. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And you still bombing and that's good, but you gotta, and you gotta put yourself, cause like you were saying, it's like one of the, the toughest things to do. So because it's instant gratification and that could do a terror to a comedian's mind. So you got to always put yourself in a good space or find some kind of escapism because a lot of times you bombing, but then you're around other comics, they bombing you guys, you guys, I don't want to necessarily call them pessimists, but you become pessimistic in his mindset when you start to bomb. And then if another comic did bad, they're not feeding you nothing good. So it's like bad energy can't feed bad energy. So you got to kind of escape from that. Maybe go to the beach or something or what I do. I go to karaoke, put yourself in a good space and yeah. go and then come back. Sometimes you got to put it down and then come back. And, you know, so that's part of my process, you know, uh, but yeah, definitely you bomb. That's, that's part of the process. Are, are there any signs that, that you can, that you can tell as a comic that, um, well, there's someone in the background just yelling at you, by the way, you, can you turn around Rashid and tell him to shut the fuck up? <laughs> hey, can you shut the fuck up, please? <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Audio Veritas, right? So, so I, 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 I'm wondering, I'm wondering, um, can you tell when you're going to bomb? Uh, you mean like right before I, when I first get on the stage? Well, you know, I, I, in, in the middle of your set, like, like what is the sign outside of like that a joke isn't going to land or that, or that you, or that you're actually in the middle of a bombing a set because not every joke lands, but that doesn't mean you're bombing. You see what I mean? Yeah. You could kind of get a sense. Cause I mean, kind of, so it's very unpredictable. Comedy is very unpredictable because I, like, just like what you said, cause sometimes I can get, I got up on the stage and that first joke that I know always hit won't hit. But then in your mind, you're like, fuck, I'm going to give up. But then defeat fear, fuck fear, fuck fear. You keep going and keep going. And then, Something started to land. I'm like, okay, that landed. Okay, they like this. So it's almost like adjusting and readjusting yourself. So it d- definitely, then sometimes you may not get the laughter that you deserve at all. And maybe, yeah. you know, so you just got to, you got to go with those punches. Like you can't win every, you don't win every fight. And that's part of the art and stuff. Like every, every piece ain't going to be the Picasso. Every piece ain't going to be uh, uh glory and stuff. So you got to definitely work with, you got to, you got to ride with those punches and, and understand that that's part of the process and stuff. I love that. Do you do you go about writing your sets the same way you write your screenplays? And if not, how does it how does it differ? Uh, I kind of uh, somewhat. I mean, uh, with my comedy, I'll write down like bullet points. I never write a, a joke in entirely. Like I said, I I conceptualize the joke in my mind, and I write down bullet points, and then I will go to an open mic. I take it to an open mic and try to workshop it. I try to see what works and what don't work or I see the delivery or what, how could I uh, rearrange certain things or certain words or so, yeah, that's, that's part of my process. It's similar, but it's not, you know, cause of course with a screenplay, I'm writing out an entire, entire narrative of it, but with, with stand up comedy, I'm just, I have bullet points that I go by and I got the idea in my mind and I just go out there on a the state. So I guess it, it is similar because me speaking, me verbally uttering those words on stage would be part of the, 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 in contrast, I mean, in, um, comparison to me writing a screenplay. So me verbally saying it on stage. So I guess they do have similar processes. Now that I'm thinking about it, it is. Cause I, I conceptualize the idea, get a bullet point and then I'll go on stage and I'll, uh, I'll say that open mic and then I go for a rewrite and another rewrite into this, to my, uh, my liking. Do you believe that handsome people have a disadvantage in comedy? I, I do. I, I think, I think, I think, I think so in, in a way. Uh, Why is that? But that's not the end all to be all. Cause people, they see a, a good looking face and they just expect for you to not be funny. It's like, cause the people got this, this premeditated and this prejudice about like good looking people can't be funny. They always got in mind, like it gotta be this characters. So, so, so that's one of the disadvantages, but you, you can't take a disadvantage and allow it to, to be to all of you. So in that case, you, you just, set yourself up for uh, failure. So I definitely think people will got it in mind. Like if somebody looks physically appealing, they can't, they can't really, I need somebody to look funny looking fat, whatever character looks. So yeah, you definitely, 
I hear that a lot in the comedy world where people do have these prejudices, but then at the same time, everybody got a prejudice against everybody. And if you live off that, then you, you're going to, you're going to never be able to win. So it's like, I got prejudices against me as a black man, but if I allow that to succumb me, then I can never win. So I, I know what's against me, but at the same time, I, you know what? I know what I got to do to get ahead. I know I'm going to be marching and running and stumping until I get what I want. Yeah, it made me. I always thought to myself, like, would John Candy have been funny if he were like skinny? <laughs> I think so. I think so. But I think part of him being heavyset definitely worked. He used what he got to work for him. So, and that's and that's a good thing. That's some 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 people know how to use what they have, not against them but for them. So I definitely think him. Yeah, him being overweight definitely helped too. You know, people like that. He, the fat teddy bear that was loud. He was rambunctious. He was, he was charming. Yeah. So, yeah, those things definitely work for people. And if you, or like, uh, for instance, like uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy did it phenomenally. He was, he had more of like a, a quintessential kind of like a quintessential look for, for for like a leading man. But he utilized that for himself because he he didn't necessarily play always rambunctious. He showed you levels like he go smooth. Mm-hmm. He go funny, so he knew he knew exactly how he looked, and he knew how to work. He knew his voice. He's like, okay, I look this way. I don't necessarily look like a all the way character, so I'm gonna play smooth right here. Like he, I think he's the epitome of a comedic actor and a comedian because he 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 knows exactly what he is. He knows his whole brand. He know and he knew it so early, which is is scary as fuck. Like for him to know all that, so I think that's what probably the fear of him like coming up on stage again because he, he knew himself so early. Most people don't find a voice that early. It's, that's unheard of. Like what? Yeah, yeah. Him and Chappelle and Pryor are all really interesting. Even like like all the great comics actually did. You're right. They found that voice really, really young, and then it was able to sort of hone in and, and polish it, um, and just and, and just sort of sort of you know make it their thing, um, and, and it just it, it all just caught fire. Um, I heard this thing before about about comics. You kind of want to be goofy, but you don't want to be so goofy that you can't get laid after the show. Is there <laughs> a, like like carrot like the problem with carrot top show is that he can't get laid after the show. Is, <laughs> is there is there validity to that? Uh, maybe, I, but I think people know what worked for them because you know some people got a commercial a big commercial audience like uh, Eddie Murphy, and then some people know. They got a niche audience that it's only certain people that dig them. So it's going to be somebody that did. You're going to find those chicks that they like that zany, quirky kind of guy. So he knows his lane. So he knows, hey, I'm not getting, I'm not getting, I'm not getting top shelf uh, um, <laughs> stuff, but I, I'm, I'm going to get what I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my lane. So I'm going to get what was mine. So he got what's his. So <laughs> I, I think those people that, as long as they, they true to themselves, they're going to get what's theirs. They, you know, everybody can't be that, that guy. Some people got their own niche audience. Some people can only play in certain rooms. Some people can play in all rooms. Well, so I think everybody should aim for top notch love, though, right? And and attention. Because when I was in my singing group, uh, a lot of the members we would get up there and do a really shitty show. But as long <laughs> as as long as there was one girl straggling behind, they were satisfied with with what we did. And it was like, no, we're never going to get better. As long as there's like one girl left behind that that didn't care that we sang off key that night, <laughs> you know. So it's yeah. like as a, as a comic, like you don't want to be in that lane where where three foot Annie is waiting for you uh, <laughs> backstage, uh, smoking heaters and saying "Let's go." Uh, like like you should do comedy that gets you a little bit better attention, right? Or otherwise, you'll stay in your lane and you won't ever get better. Is that? Is there any validity to that? Uh, some, somewhat. What I would say, if you're true to your voice and to yourself, you're gonna get, you're gonna get what you you could because like some of those comics that are just like very uh, alt room and you, no one ever knows them. They probably the best at being an alternative comedian. They probably tried commercial and that didn't work for them, but they they perfected the best they could in their own lane. And I, as long as I think you're being true to yourself, because everybody's not going to get that uh, uh, immense glory and fame and stuff. That's not going to, it's impossible. I think, but it, as long as you touch the people that were meant to be touched by your your comedy or your art and stuff, then I think you're doing yourself a justice. Because some of those people uh, who may be just those niche 
comedians, they, sometimes they blow up when they're dead and they become bigger and stuff. So, uh, and I think it's all a matter of where they being true to themselves because some people may not appreciate it in that time. They'd be like, oh, this ain't my flavor. Or some, and some movies are like that too. If, if you're a director or a writer and you, you did the very best you can, could and stuff, and you tried your very best and you, you, you did your whatever business skill or marketing work for you and work in that process and you still didn't hit the way you thought you would hit, I say as long as you walked away and did the very best you could to try to make yourself the very best you could, then you have nothing to worry about. I think you 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 did your service and you, and you can you can rest easy, baby. <laughs> I love it. So um, you have a couple of films on Amazon Prime now: Coffee and Cabbage, Induced Effect, and uh, you made these, produced these yourself. And so I really, I, I would be remiss and you, you've been so generous with your time. I only have a few more questions, but I do, I, I would love for you to break down for our audience, um, how someone can make a film on an ultra low budget. So 25 grand or less and, and go from soup to nuts for us as much as possible. So talking about, you've talked about your screenwriting process, but from a production standpoint, what do you do for crafty? What do you do for talent? What do you do for uh, uh, gear, sound? What are your What are your thoughts? Marketing, all that. Um, I made coffee and cabbage induced and uh, induced effect four years ago now. Um, and what I'm fortunate enough to be in Los Angeles because you're talking about the entertainment capital of the world. So you meet so many people that come into this oversaturated market. They are highly skilled, but they haven't had the opportunity to be seen yet. So mm-hmm. I, you meet those guys time and time again. So they may have equipment and gear. One person may say, you know what? I work at this bakery. So I, I utilize whatever I had. Like I met a lot of friends that I had one guy that worked at a bakery. He's like, hey, man, listen, I was like, I ain't got a lot of money for crafty. He's like, look, I could donate some bread and some some goods, some crafty and stuff, whatever. And then I had this other dude I know that worked at a, uh, at a coffee shop. And he's like, listen, man, we don't always use this coffee. So you, I donate this coffee to you. He's like, just give me a, a special thank you. And I got this other DP who never shot a feature film before. He's like, listen, I could work for nothing. I just, I'm just trying to build something for my portfolio. So all, all you guys are working on a cohesive dream and stuff. You guys are all trying to put yourself in a pot to be able to be in that, that, that main pot. So I utilize all these different people that, were, that has this dream too and this desire to, to want to create something, want it to be seen by as many people as possible, and I bring them together and stuff. And, and I'm pretty sure you can do that across the world because I'm pretty sure you're going to find somebody that got a similar dream to you that want to work with you. You guys, you got to be open for collaborations and open for other people's ideas and, and just be – and don't be scared to ask. I always say don't be scared to ask. I'm, and that's something I haven't been, been at all, and I'm fortunate for. I thank God. I'm always – I was like, the worst they can do is tell me yes or no. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, can you do this for me, man? Look, I, and I try to be honest. I think integrity is everything, too, though. So I, I make sure when I'm telling them this, I right, listen, this is the budget. I'm going to be honest with you. But I don't have the money to pay for all this stuff. But I guarantee you, I'm going to try my very best to make this the very best product for all of us. And we all could be eating at the end of the day. So we all trying to set up ourselves a portfolio to present when it's our time to really just shine on a big scale. So I just say gather your resources and stuff. Really be out there networking, talk to people because you, you'll be, you'll, it'll blow your mind if you knew how many people out here just, they just want to work. They just want to create something. They just want, and I've been using that to my, 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 my benefit and stuff. And now on this, I said between forever, I almost set my thing up almost like um, the Quentin Tarantino thing, like where he wanted to create 10 films for his body of work. I kind of use that, but to my own, with my own perspective, I said, I wanted to make, six low budget feature films with these on a minuscule budget and just make them. And after that, I was going to move on to some bigger budget movies and stuff. And the movie I currently just got off was called between forever. The one I mentioned earlier about it's a serendipitous romance about prison reform. And that was a romance I've always wanted to make. And I said, that was going to be my last time working on this kind of budget like this, uh, hopefully. And I'm moving on to different budgets, but you know, I gave myself goals and dates and stuff. So, and, and I'm proud because I, I was able to accomplish them in the time I, I wanted to accomplish them. And now, you know, I, I want to move forward and stuff and, and do some other things. That's great. That's great. And I wanted to touch on Between Forever. What was the inspiration for that movie? Because it's a little bit different than your other movies. 
as a as a romantic comedy and almost like a a return of sort of the black love story. Uh, yeah, I had. I've always kind of wanted to do a romance. I remember even when I did Coffee and Cabbage, it was supposed to be a romance, but I was always shy in a way. I was not never vulnerable enough to express myself in that romantic way on on paper and stuff. Because I've always loved watching romance movies and stuff, and I always wanted to do them. But I say I know I wasn't in a vulnerable place at the time and then I got in a relationship a four year relationship and she taught me how to love she taught me how to be vulnerable and stuff and we broke up uh, back in January and that it, that triggered my I was like I gotta write this film I've been thinking about I gotta do it is now or never and that relationship I, I actually wrote that screenplay the first draft I wrote that in like two days I, wow. the feelings that I was yeah the feelings that I was feeling at the time I just put them on paper and stuff and I I said you know what it can't just be a romance. What's going on? I remember my twin brother. I like prison reform is a big thing. And my twin brother spent five years in prison over what I call some uh, nonviolent uh, crime and stuff for, for for drugs and stuff. And and I know that's an epidemic, especially in the black and Latino community and stuff about black men and, and Latino men going to prison over marijuana charges and almost losing almost some of their life and stuff over stuff that now is being. Um, monopolized over here in California and the very same people that have been in prison for it are not even getting the opportunities to put their bid in on a business. So I'm like, man, this needs to be addressed, but let's do it in a way where it's, I wanted to do it subtly and I wanted to touch bases on it. So I was kind of passionate about both things, like a romance, uh, prison reform, let me merge them together. So the main character is loosely based off my twin brother and, uh, the, the, the lead female protagonist is, uh, um, uh, amalgamation of uh, different women I have dated uh, more recently, my uh, four-year relationship, the scientist girl who I dated. Uh, uh, so that's, that's I, I wanted to really do that. That's great. And and I think Pusher T and Lauren Hill just released a song about prison reform as well, kind of based on the same concept. It's like, how can these people be in jail for this long when now the thing that they're in jail for is legal and is um, you know, people are going to start making tons of profit off of it, and and in some cases already are. So, uh, it's it's a timely film for for sure, and and I I can't wait to uh, see how it all turns out. Um, you also did a turn as Gil in our wonderful movie Adult Interference, and you have some very funny roles in there. That comes out September 17th wide. It's available for pre-release now on iTunes at Target.com, Walmart.com, and Amazon.com, and many, many other places around the globe. So we're really pumped about that. Film's got Kate Upton in it. It's got Ted Welch, Mike Vogel, Christine Woods, George Barron, and of course you and and my man Chris Green. So like a ton of people. Chris Green. Yeah, Joe Mullen in it. And I think thank you and Nick for that opportunity, man. I think that... That was. That was my very first feature film I was in. So, man, I thank you guys for that opportunity. And being on that set, after I got off that set, that's when I first, after I went home, that's when I wrote Coffee and Cabbage. I'm like, I could do this. So I thank you guys so much for that because that was my my opportunity to see see something, to be a part. Because I was on a one feature film, but I was an extra. So that was my first time being able to speak on a feature film and being around all these people that was kind of established and stuff. So, I mean, I, I thank God for you guys giving me giving me uh, that opportunity. I I will always, always remember that. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a very special moment for me. That means the world to us, man. Thank you so much, and, and you're so graceful and humble about it. And you're hilarious in the movie. You you have one of the most controversial lines, and I don't <laughs> want to give away what the line was, but I, I'm curious: Did you write that? Did you improv that, or was that written for you? I actually improv that because it gave me a line. <laughs> but I was like, man, let me. I know me, and I I know I was like, man, I guess I never. I, I never knew the protocol on the set, but I mean, I was like, man, I'm a comic. I was like, maybe they'd probably like it. I'm just going to try it. And I guess they end up keeping it. I didn't, I just improv it because I saw the lines like, what? I think I could do, let me, I just wanted to try something. So I had this idea and I just kind of improv it. It was great. I've always loved it. It's been one, it's one of my favorite jokes in the entire movie. And it always, I, I love watching the crowd's reaction depending on where we screen it, you know, if you screen it in the South versus the West coast and things like that. So, <laughs> so it's, it, it always gets a different vibe and I, I love putting people on the edge of their seats like that and, uh, and pushing them. So, uh, Rashid, tell everybody where they can find you on social media on the internet and uh, where they can find your films. Uh, you can find my film coffee and cabbage 
uh, on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and Tubi TV. Um, Amazon Prime, again, Induced Effect in Coffee and Cabbage, films I made four years ago. And, uh, oh, I have another film called Brown Paper Bag. That's actually being distributed, I think, by the same company uh, you guys are with, Gravitas. Uh, uh, Brown Paper Bag is going to be on various platforms also. And Awesome. I got, and, Shout uh, out to Gravitas got, Ventures. Yes, yes, yes. Shout out to all them. And Indy Wrights. And I got, um, I got Between Forever. You guys going to help me collaborate with that. And that's going to be put out, hopefully, in, in various places all across the world. And uh, you can find me on social media on Instagram. It's Stevens Rashid underscore. So uh, it's spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S Rashid, R-A-S-H-E-E-D underscore. That's our Instagram. And then you can just find me on Facebook. Rashid Stevens. It's Rashid Stevens. So yeah, that's my platform right now. I'm working on my social media game, baby. That's perfect. I love it. And uh, we can can definitely help you with that. And then last thing before I let you run, you mentioned earlier about locking yourself away for 30 days so you can write a screenplay, just focus in and get it done. Can you tell our audience, many of which who are getting into this business just now and want to maintain, can you give uh, your techniques for keeping your friends, your love interests, your family sort of at bay so you can stay focused for those 30 days? Uh, I just say, give, give, you got to focus. You got to, you got to zone in and, and, and create a deadline for yourself in your head and say, you know what, I got to get this done. And you got to explain some, I believe if you put everything on the table for everybody, you let them know, Hey, listen, I'm not going to have time to talk at this particular time. I got to get this work done. And then we can go back and get some beers or whatever. But I always say, like, do the work and then have some fun. Do the work and have some fun. Because I, I live my life like this. I say I live my life for a short period of time the way most people want to live the rest of my life the way most people can't. So I keep that philosophy in my mind all the time when I'm making my projects. Live your life for a short period of time the way most people want to live the rest of your life the way most people can't. So you keep that in mind and you really got dreams and ambitions and goals and you know exactly what's at stake and you have you sit there and focus and you get the shit done. Man, that's huge. Well, I guess we know what the promo quote's going to be when this thing rolls. So <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> Rashid, uh, love talking to you, brother. Hope to hope to see you soon in L.A. in a couple weeks. And uh, stay safe. Have fun tonight. And I can't thank you enough for joining us again on the podcast. All right. Thank you, too, man. God bless. It's always a pleasure. All right, brother. Talk soon. Yes, sir. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative be engaged. And thank you for listening.